Welcome to the book reading program of 3ABN Australia Radio. Does your faith need a boost? Do you think that miracles only happened in Bible times? Think again. Compiled by Remnant Publications, the book Get Ready for a Miracle recounts true stories that prove that when we step out in faith, God displays His power in undeniable ways. Here is our reader, Harold Harker. This story is entitled, Miracle of Kiara. 2 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4 says, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It started late on the evening of May the 2nd. We were getting ready for bed when we heard a commotion next door. I went outside and saw two African women who were talking to the group of American doctors who were staying next to us. They were all looking at something that one of the women was holding. We went over to see what was happening and found out that the ladies had just brought a baby girl who'd been born only hours before. She'd been found by a young boy as he was walking through a field. We were very shocked by what they were telling us. They said that the police were called to a nearby field where a young boy had seen a plastic bag moving in the grass. And when they checked it out, it was a little baby girl who was still attached to the placenta by her umbilical cord. The police called the women who came down to get the baby. The women had heard that a group of doctors was here from America, so they decided to bring her down to where we were staying. Jackie and I stood there listening to this with tears starting to well up in our eyes. I tried not to look at her for fear I would just break down and start sobbing out loud. I was just standing there thinking, how could anyone do this? Then Jackie reached out, took the baby and began to softly talk to her while holding her close. I noticed that the baby didn't smell good due to a piece of umbilical cord that was still attached to her which had started to decay. I asked the women what would happen to her and they said she would go to an orphanage like all the rest. They said the baby was most likely dumped because her mother had AIDS. In that case, the child would have HIV too and will eventually die. I asked if they would do any tests to confirm that and they said, no, it's just the way things are here. I looked at Jackie and at this precious little bundle of humanity she was holding and I knew right there that we needed to do something for her. Life is sometimes so cruel. But there we were at that place, at that exact moment in time, in Africa. And I knew that we were there for just that purpose, to try and prevent what life's cruel sting 
was throwing at this little girl. So, I asked the women if we could take the child for the night and take her to a clinic in the morning to see if she was HIV positive or negative. They agreed. We took her in and bathed her many times, fed her, wrapped her in a warm blanket. We did not sleep much that night. We just prayed and prayed that this little girl would be spared from the terrible effects of AIDS. In the morning, we called Dr. Rakundo, whom we had met the night before. He was originally from Rwanda. Years ago, part of his family had been killed because they were of the royal family. They fled to Belgium, and he eventually ended up at Lomelina University in California, where he became a doctor. He set up a children's clinic there in Swaziland and now travelled back and forth to help children with HIV. He said to bring the baby down and we will check her out. We drove to the city of Mbabane, which was about half hour drive. She was a tiny baby, only weighing 2.4 kilograms or 5.3 pounds. But as far as he could see, she looked very healthy, much better than he expected for a baby that was left in such a condition. He said she had better reflexes than most abandoned babies that he saw. However, he was concerned that her bloodstream would be poisoned from the time she had spent still attached to the decomposing placenta. He then sent us to a private clinic that does all the tests for HIV, hepatitis and any other diseases. Here in Swaziland, the test they do for HIV is not conclusive, so they must do it three times over an 18-month period to be sure a newborn does not have HIV. However, there is a place in Johannesburg that has the latest testing equipment where they test through the DNA to tell whether the mother had HIV or any other diseases. They can tell immediately whether the baby has HIV. So we paid for both tests. They pricked a little finger to get enough blood to do both tests and then told us to go home and wait. That was the most agonising few days of our lives. Without saying much about it to each other, Jackie and I were thinking the same thing. We wanted to take this baby home and give her what life had so cruelly tried to take from her. We knew that if she had HIV, we would have to leave her there, as Canada will not allow a terminally ill person to enter the country because we have a government health care system. We knew that if she was HIV positive, it would tear our hearts out to leave her there to die. So again, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed that the tests would come back negative. Every day, we called to see if the results of the tests were in. After five agonising days, the results came back. Dr. Rakunda called and said he had read the test results and was amazed at the health of this baby 
Her blood was unbelievably healthy. All the tests showed that she was suffering from nothing. She had no disease at all, and both of the HIV tests showed that she is negative. Her blood shows that she was not even suffering from any kind of malnutrition. He said, it looks like the mother, whoever she was, was unbelievably healthy. I cannot explain the relief and joy we felt at that moment. All we could do was just sit in the car and weep for joy. At that moment, we knew that our desire to give this little baby girl a better life would now become a reality. We went back and forth to Mbarbane, trying to see someone to find out what we needed to do to adopt Kiara. We drove to Mbarbane, but there was still no meeting. We went again and waited all day, but still nothing. Sonia, the woman who brought the baby down the first night, asked us to meet her again to see the head social worker woman in Mbarbane. We arrived on time and waited and waited. Finally, we were called in and when the woman in charge looked at us, she said, can you please wait outside while I speak with Sonia? We went out and waited. Then Sonia came out and told us that the woman said there were no more adoptions, it is closed. So we cannot adopt the baby. Our hearts just sank. Sonia said the woman can be very angry at times and that she's scared of her. She said the woman looked at her and said, I am watching you. I know everything you are doing. Sonia looked really scared. She asked us to go to her house and meet her there. We drove to her house and waited for a while and talked about what had just happened. We could not believe that it was true. It didn't make any sense. I was starting to think that maybe the social welfare woman had some past issues with Sonia and that she was just taking it out on us. I was beginning to feel like something was going on behind the scenes because every time we were to meet with someone, it didn't happen. Or we were asked by either Sonia or the other person to wait outside. We were never allowed to attend any of the meetings. So we called Dr. Rakundo. I told him what happened and he said it didn't sound right. He knew a woman from Germany who came, adopted four children all at once and took them home. He was also surprised that we were still there. He thought everything should have been done by that time and that we should have been on our way home. He said he would make some calls to see how he could help us. He called back and said that he had spoken with a person from Ministry of Health and one of the princesses and they would help us with the adoption. He had set up a meeting in Manzini on Tuesday at 12.30pm and that everything would be okay. He said it could be done by Wednesday because Thursday was a holiday. We decided to go into town and have a bite to eat and ask Sonia's maid to have Sonia call us when she came in. 
around 5pm, I called Sonia because I had not heard from her yet. She answered the phone and said, I'm sorry, but you must bring the baby back. She must stay with me now. She needs to be here if the social welfare lady shows up. I told her that I did not believe the social welfare woman was being fully honest with us and that I was going to go above her or, if necessary, hire a lawyer to help us. She said that she had spoken with the director of social welfare and he had said he'd be in on Monday. I said, OK, please call me on Monday and tell me when you want to go in and see him and I will be there. I also explained to her that things did not sound right to me and the stories were beginning to conflict with each other. She continued to insist that the baby had to stay with her. I finally told her that there was no way I was going to give up that baby and as it was after 5pm on Friday, I was sure the social welfare people were not going to show up over the weekend. All the same, I was willing to stay at her home with the baby over the weekend if necessary. Just then, she said she had another phone call coming in and needed to take it, so I asked her to call me back to tell me what she would like me to do. She did not call back, so we finally went back to Gibella, where we were staying. On Monday, Sonia called Dan, who was the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Conference, and said she could not get in touch with me. So Dan called me, and after checking, I told him that I had not received a call from her. After we drove to Mbabane and called Sonia to tell her that we were there and could go any time she wanted to go and see the director, she said it was already too late. We went home again. Early Tuesday morning, Sonia called us while we were at the conference office talking to Pastor Dan about some of our concerns. She said Dr. Rakundel had just told her that we must take the baby back to her house immediately. I told her that I would call Dr. Rakundo and speak with him directly. I did not believe he had told her since we had a meeting scheduled in Manzini in just a few hours. She indicated that if I didn't return the child right then, the police would come and arrest me. So I called the doctor and told him what had just happened. He responded, No, to the contrary, I told Sonia not to bother you and that the baby must stay with you. He suggested that we go to his office and try to work this out with Sonia, which I agreed was a good idea. So we quickly drove up there. When we arrived, he told us that he had spoken with Sonia on the phone and that she wanted nothing more than for us to adopt the child. She has agreed to go with you to the Director of Social Welfare. He suggested we try to go to the route that Sonia wanted us to go and see how it turned out. Thus, we ended up not going to the meeting in Mancini that day. Dr. Rakunda called and asked Sonia to come to his office 
Lodge. She was there in a few minutes. The first thing she said was that the baby must be taken to her house before she would go with us. I firmly noted, no, I am not comfortable at this time since there have been some harsh things said and threats have been made. Let's go inside and see what Dr. Rakundo says we should do. Dr. Rakundo asked her to calm down and said, as Christians, we should work out a compromise. I'd been saying that since last Friday when Sonia stated that the baby needed to be taken back to her. I was willing to stay in her home with the baby and I was still willing to do so, but I would not leave the baby there alone. She agreed and we went to her house to spend the night. The next morning, she took us to the SOS clinic where they made another medical card like the one Dr. Rakundo had made but with a different name for the baby on it. Then we took Jackie and the baby back to her house. Then Sonia and I went to see the Director of Social Welfare. When we arrived, Sonia was extremely nervous and scared. She asked me to sit and wait while she went in first. After a few minutes, she came out shaking her head and said that the Director of Social Welfare had said there would be no more adoptions, but you can see him if you want. I went in and asked him how we could proceed with the adoption. He looked at me and stated, Adoptions are now closed to foreigners. Why? He shared with me, we have uncovered three groups inside the country that have been involved with child trafficking and we are about to arrest them all and throw them into jail. That is why adoptions are closed and they will remain closed until the laws on adoption changed to prevent any more child trafficking. I understand, but please, is there anything we can do to adopt this baby? I'm willing to live here, if that's what it takes. Here are our passports. You can hold on to them until it's done. I told him who we were as a family, why we're in this country, and that we had not come to adopt, but to provide assistance and aid to the orphans of this country. I shared with him about my business, about Katie, and how we had adopted her from Fiji. I told him everything. And when I was done, he looked at me for a long time and said he appreciated that I had not been arrogant with him and that he did not need our passports. Go and write down in a letter everything you've just told me and attach lots of pictures. Then, go find a place to rent and get a letter from your social worker back home. Bring those items back to me as soon as you can. Then, I will grant you temporary custody of the baby and I will assign a social worker to your case. Sometime in the next six months, I will grant you the adoption. When I took all the paperwork the next morning, he said he would write a report, send it to the social worker with his recommendations, and that we could go to her office on Tuesday. 
I asked him if Jackie could continue to stay at Sonia's until Tuesday, and he said there was no problem with that at all. In fact, he noted, it is at Sonia's discretion to decide where the baby stays. So if she feels that the baby is in the care and safety of a loving family, she can let you go back home to Gabella with the baby right now. I thanked him profusely and immediately called Jackie upon leaving the office. Jackie was in tears when I told her that everything was fine and we were on the path that would eventually lead to Kiara being our baby. Jackie had been staying at Sonia's house for a few days with the baby, but she was relieved to be able to join us again at Gabella. I talked with Sonia and smoothed things out with her, so she finally seemed okay with everything. I can only guess. But it seemed that Sonia was scared that the decision she made to leave the baby with us that night at Gabella was not according to the rules of social welfare. Her fear was that during the investigation on child trafficking, somehow the officials would knock at her door and she might get into trouble. We lived in Swaziland until they granted us the adoption. I don't know why it happened that way, but we kept claiming the promise where God has said that he will not allow anything to fall upon us that we cannot bear. He has also promised that if we could see the end from the beginning, we would see his glory in it. I flew home to organise the shipment of another container to Swaziland to check on my employees and to sell a travel trailer we had in order to pay the rent there and to purchase a vehicle to use while we were there. Friday morning, Jackie and I picked up Antoinette at the hotel and drove to Mbaban. We arrived about 10 minutes early. Jackie waited in the car while Antoinette and I went to the social welfare woman's office. I knocked on the door and stuck my head in to let her know I was there. She motioned for me to wait outside. We waited and waited as more people just kept coming and going and still we waited. Eventually, I stood right in front of the door so every time someone opened it to go in or out, she could see me standing there. Finally, she motioned for me to come in and when she saw Antoinette, she waved her hand at her and told her to wait outside. Now, by that time, I was thinking, here we go again. But after the door closed, she said that she had read most of Mr. Matsia's report and had started to file on us. I understand that it is urgent, so I have called one of my social workers in Manzini and have asked him to come and visit you at noon today. Afterwards, he will write a report and bring it to me. If it's done before 3pm, I will write an order that allows you to take custody of the child for the purpose of fostering. I could not believe my ears. She was being stern but pleasant, confirming 
that she was going to give us Kiara in just a few hours. I thanked her and said I would call the social worker in Manzini right away and do everything necessary to help the process move along smoothly. Then she stated, I must inform you that the normal procedures are as follows. There must be a one-year period of fostering, then the adoption will take place. Then you must stay for another year after the adoption has been granted while we continue to monitor your family. However, Mr Matsia has the power to waive the second year if he sees fit, but the first year is up to me. My heart sank a little. I asked if there was any way for the first year of fostering could be shortened. She looked at me long and hard and said, It is possible, but that would have to be done by the courts if they saw fit to do so. I saw a glimmer of hope in her words that we might not have to live here for the next 12 months. So I thanked her and set out for Manzini. Antoinette went home and Jackie and I raced back to Gabella. Then I called the social worker in Manzini who said he would be ready to meet me where we stayed at lunchtime. He asked if I would pick him up at noon as he had no vehicle. I drove him and a young woman back to Gabella where they did a one-hour interview with all of us, which went very well. When they were done, I drove them back to their office. As we drove, he said he liked what he had seen and heard, so he thought things should be able to happen very quickly. Then he said, I don't have a computer, but I'll try and write the report and take it to the head social welfare lady in the morning. He asked if I should pick him up at 10am from his home and drive him to Mbabane. Then he realised that it would be Saturday and that she would not be working until Monday. He said he would be at Sonia's in any case and give us the child. I dropped him back at the office and gave him my computer to use along with a flashcard so he could write his report and then print it somewhere. Sabbath morning, I drove Jackie and the baby to Sonia's and then I drove to pick him up to take him back to Sonia's. He saw the baby for the first time and then Sonia spoke to him in Saswati for a while. He then turned to us saying that he thought it was best for us to continue to go back and forth to Sonia's until Monday morning when the head social welfare woman could be the one to give you permission to take the baby. He asked me to drive him back home and to pick him up at 9am Monday morning. We felt a little disappointed that he didn't give us Kiara right away. Monday arrived and we drove to Mbabane and went to see if the main social welfare woman would give us custody. It went so easy, I thought I was dreaming. She read the report that the social welfare worker had written and said it was great. Then she took some papers out, filled them in and said, Here, you now have permanent custody of the child. I asked how long before we could take her to Canada 
and he replied that in a couple of weeks it should be done. Jackie and the kids were going to stay in Swaziland for the next three weeks while I went home and shipped two containers and moved all my manufacturing to South Africa. A reflection associated with this story comes from The Desire of Ages, page 330. The continual worry is wearing out the life forces. Our Lord desires them to lay aside this yoke of bondage. He invites them to accept His yoke. He says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He bids them seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And His promise is that all things needful to them for this life shall be added. Worry is blind and cannot discern the future. But Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, He has His way prepared to bring relief. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Those who accept the one principle of making the service and honour of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. This story, Miracle of Kiara, was written by Ray and Jackie Rossiuk of Partners for Others in British Columbia, Canada. You can find details on their website, partnersforothers.com. You've been listening to the book reading program by 3ABN Australia Radio, featuring Get Ready for a Miracle. For more information about this book, visit remnantpublications.com. Thank you.